do this. It is the Chief Zone podcast on Farzi Basugi, and thank you all for downloading and listening to this episode of the podcast. Always greatly appreciated when you guys make the Chief Zone podcast part of your day, whether you're working out in the morning or at night, whenever you work out, whether you're at work, on your commute, where whatever it may be. Nonetheless, appreciate you guys making the Chief Zone part of your day. Coming out a little early this week, I'm not able to record. Uh, an episode uh, in the middle of the week like I'd like to, so instead it's coming out a little bit earlier, but nonetheless, unless something groundbreaking major happens, uh, shouldn't make much of a difference here. I know the injury report usually comes out later in the week, but usually both, for the most part, both teams haven't had a lot of injuries to deal with lately, so I think we'll be okay releasing this out a little bit early. So our preview podcast Coming out early, of course, we will preview the game between the Chiefs and the Raiders. The Chiefs looking to stay ahead in the AFC West. Currently in first place in a three-way tie. And luckily enough, because the Chargers are also in, involved in a tie, forcing a three-way tie, the Chiefs still lead the division. Had the Raiders and the Chiefs been involved in a two-way tie, the Raiders would be ahead uh, with the tiebreaker there. So... Crazy enough, a, a three-team tie does benefit the Chiefs in this situation, but look, you can't rely on that for too long. Kansas City's got to find a way to get the ball rolling, and there's an opportunity for the Chiefs to really build a gap in these next two games, playing the Raiders this Sunday, and then six nights later, playing the Chargers on Saturday night. So should be very interesting to see. And I think it, within the, those seven days, We'll know a lot about Kansas City and whether or not they'll make it to the playoffs going into weeks 16 and 17 when they play the Dolphins and the Broncos. But right now, getting ready for the Raiders game, so we will touch on that, preview that. I'll give you guys my keys as to what the Chiefs will need to do to win and give you my prediction for that game as well. Also going to talk a little bit about some sort of a trend that we've noticed lately with the Chiefs. And whether or not this has a major impact as to why the Chiefs are winning and losing. You know, we'll look at some key numbers from the 5-0 and start and then look at some key numbers from the 1-6 and start. Also kind of take a look at it from a different standpoint and look at these, some of the stats you see in all the wins and what those numbers look like in all of the losses. So I think you guys will notice some sort of a correlation when I break that down for you guys. And then, of course, a little bit of quarterback talk. Not too much of it this week, but there's been some intriguing talk about Alex Smith this week, considering he had a great game. Uh, and when I say great, yeah, he had 14 incompletions, uh, a b- below a fi- uh, 60% completion uh, percentage game. Uh, but look, I, when you put up four touchdowns, uh, it's really not on him. I, and I mentioned the tweet from Von Kleiman, who said that, Alex Smith should have finished the game in the end, and that I, I agree with, because you know all the great quarterbacks out there in high-scoring games, they still find a way to finish and break the tie, or give the team the lead, or or force a tie uh, in certain situations. So I think that's something uh, that you certainly should expect, especially a guy with Alex Smith, who for the beginning of the year was putting up Tom Brady type of numbers, was labeled as the MVP, and still has the second highest quarterback rating in the NFL. Uh, so certainly the standard should be a lot higher from Alex Smith. But me personally, I'm choosing not to blame him because, look, at the end of the day, 
Uh, we, I mean, I criticized him a lot, and I know a lot of you guys did as well, and he came away with four touchdowns. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about him, just kind of the perception that I'm kind of seeing uh, around the NFL with Alex Smith. Yes, and interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Vasugian. That is the Facebook page. I've got to tell you guys, man, you guys have been bringing it this year. I, I mentioned it with the, uh, I mean, the, the podcast numbers have been up, and the Facebook posts have been up as well. Uh, and they've been up all year, but, but they've just been up even more. Unfortunately, I, I, in all the years I've done this podcast, I've just noticed that fans have more to say when teams are struggling. And perhaps that's the... That's the unfortunate truth right there, but hey, as long as you guys are interacting with me, that's what this podcast is about, interactivity, uh, and don't get me wrong, we, we always have a lot of discussions, I remember doing this podcast in years past with the Chiefs, even at the beginning of this year, you guys had a lot to say, but unfortunately it just seems like there's a little bit more uh, when teams are struggling, but nonetheless, as long as you guys are interacting, hey, always love it. On the Facebook page, I brought some things back from years past, like photo captions, and we're doing more fill-in-the-blanks, which you guys love to do. Uh, We're going to keep that going. So if you're not part of the Facebook page, hey, become a part of it. Facebook.com slash Farzee Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. Also follow me on Twitter at Farzee21. You guys can also email me, Farzee at FarzeeVasugian.com. And I forgot to mention before I move on with the podcast, uh, you guys be sure to... Give the page a like on Facebook because we'll be doing a Facebook Live video at halftime and after every Chiefs game. So if you guys want to be part of the Facebook Live videos, which a lot of you guys have been joining in on as well, well, hey, don't be shy. Join us in that. Never too late for that. Facebook.com slash Farzee and we'll go live on Facebook at halftime and after every Chiefs game. All right, I wanted to start off with Alex Smith because... Four touchdowns, no picks. I mean, what more could you have asked from him? If you if you gave me that stat line right there about Alex Smith, I'd have said there's no way in hell Josh McCown and the New York Jets would have scored way more points. Certainly, this would have been a W for the Chiefs. Now we all know it didn't end up going that way, but still, you get the idea. Alex Smith did everything to put the Chiefs in position to win, so certainly. This loss wasn't on him. Now, I did say this last podcast, and I said this on social media as well. I'm not letting one game dictate or change my opinion about the quarterback position. And look, he just had one really great game during this 1-6 stretch. His other great game in the last seven uh, was against the Oakland Raiders, which the Chiefs are going to be playing this Sunday, of course. Now, the defense... They held the Giants to 12 points, 9 before overtime, and they held the Buffalo Bills to 16 points. Teams that just aren't very good. And although the defense did everything to win, I never came on here and said, look, the defense is not the reason for the struggles. I mean, look, I still think the defense has a big hand in the team's struggles recently, no doubt about it. But before the Jets game, everybody across the league, people on ESPN, uh, local radio, national radio, national media, whatever. Everybody was talking about Alex Smith and just how bad he's been and how everyone ex- is expecting Patrick Mahomes to step in soon. And then he has this four-touchdown game, and I'm hearing, oh gosh, I, I think it was Solomon Wilcots on Sirius XM NFL Radio, and he mentioned how we need to back up Alex Smith because he had four, he threw four touchdowns and the defense allowed 38 to the Jets. So hold on a second. Why is it that we 
back off Alex Smith and blame the defense for one game, but when back-to-back games, Alex Smith struggles against the Giants and the Bills, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not being, I mean, pretty much people, I'm seeing some people be defensive about Alex Smith over one game, where the defense, and look, I'm not saying we should be defensive, but if we're going to follow this logic here, the defense had two fairly good games against the Bills and the Giants, and I'm not saying let's throw a party for them. Because look, they're the they're the Giants and the Bills. But listen, I expect even the best defenses in the NFL, if they held the Giants to twelve points or the Bills to sixteen, uh, the defensive coordinator is given a pat on the back to all the defensive players because that's what you're supposed to do against bad teams like that. Hold them to under twenty points. And the Chiefs, albeit not a great defense, they did exactly that. They held them to below twenty points. So the defense showed up in back-to-back games. Very rarely do you see this defense allow a lot of points. And the one time they allow a lot of points, I'm hearing people say, well, let's back off Alex Smith. It's the defense that needs to be adjusted. No, the the defense just had one bad football game. You look at the last few games. They held, uh, as I mentioned, Buffalo to 16, the Giants to 12, the Cowboys to 28, and let's not forget, in that football game, Ezekiel Elliott got a chance to play, and the defense was only given two days' notice to prepare for him. Andy Reid says they prepared all week uh, in case he was going to play. I don't know if I buy that fully. Uh, Against the Denver Broncos, uh, the defense held that team to 19 points. Uh, Yeah, they let the Raiders kind of go off a little bit, allowing them to score 31. But again, uh, that's once in a blue moon. The Steelers held them to 19 points, as great of, as, of, of a team they've been for not just this year, but for years. The Texans, yeah, they allowed 34, still came away with the win. Held the Redskins to 20, the Chargers to 10. The Eagles, who have only suffered two losses this year, one of them to the Chiefs, to 20. And Tom Brady and the Patriots to 27. So it's not like the defense, and again, I, I'm going to bring some things up about the defense shortly that'll... Expose why they've been so bad this year. I'm not saying they've been great, but they're not terrible either. I know at times I was critical of the defense, but at the end of the day, not many people love the bend don't break style of defense. But that's just that's just what this defense has been. That's what this defense is. It's been like this for a long time, and. Teams like the Titans and the Buccaneers last year and the Jets this past week. They found a way to go against this bend-don't-break style of defense. And oddly enough, it's come from mediocre to above-average teams. These are the type of teams that found out how to beat the Chiefs' defense by running the football, staying in bounds, and owning time of possession. And unfortunately for the Chiefs, when they had those one-play touchdown drives, that actually hurt the defense because that meant more time of possession for the Jets. So again, uh, I mean, yeah, the Chiefs allowed 38 to to the Jets. A Josh McCown-led team, certainly embarrassing, and a lot of adjustments need to be made. But they allowed 16 to, to the Bills, 12 to the Giants, uh, 19 to the Broncos a couple of weeks before that. Uh, look, I, I think it's unfair to go off on this defense for one bad game. Uh, 
yes, I, I'm frustrated too. I mean, this team can never find a balance. As soon as Alex Smith steps up, the defense just collapses. And as soon as the defense starts playing really well, and they start limiting all these teams like the Giants and the Bills. And the, uh, well, the Broncos, the Chiefs won that game. But the other two games, Alex Smith and the Chiefs offense go quiet. And they're hardly anywhere to be seen in the end zone. So I know it's it's frustrating. It's tough to watch, but uh, I, I just don't think it's fair to suddenly defend Alex Smith for one great game and, and just bash the defense and criticize Bob Sutton as much as I, I haven't been a fan of his lately for one bad game. Look, at the end of the day, the Chiefs are 6-6, six and six, and they've got to do something to step up right away because... A loss right now will send the Chiefs back in the division. And they could easily go from first place to the bottom half of this AFC West. And that could happen this Sunday. Now, I want to look at the defense. Of course, we, we spent some time talking about them and, and the whole them taking the blame versus Alex Smith taking the blame. Kind of interesting, though, because this defense in 2013 and last year, 2016, the Chiefs were very well known for dominating in two categories, sacks and takeaways. And the Chiefs have been extremely quiet in those two categories so far this season. Now, I want to look at the last seven games. And I'm going to go in chronological order, start backwards, uh, starting with the Jets game. And keep in mind, uh, just listen along as I go here. Against the Jets, no sacks, no takeaways. Against the Bills... Two sacks, still no takeaways. The Giants, they had one sack in that football game. Also had one takeaway. That was the trick play, kind of similar to the Tyree Kill interception that was thrown against the Broncos. The Giants tried a similar play of that of their own. And Danny Sorensen came away with the interception there in the first quarter. Since then, the Chiefs have not had a takeaway. They have gone 11 quarters. 12 if you want to include the overtime period against the Giants. 12 quarters, no takeaways. And that is an area where, I mean, I thought the Chiefs were once again going to be one of the best, even without Eric Berry. The Dallas Cowboys game, two sacks, no takeaways. The Broncos game, boy, you guys are going to love this one. One sack, five takeaways. And even though the offense was not very good in that football game, hey, five takeaways should always be more than enough to help you win a football game. Against the Raiders, one sack, no takeaways. And against the Steelers, three sacks, just one takeaway. So it, it, during those seven games, during that one and six record the Chiefs have had, the Chiefs have a total of ten sacks, seven takeaways. Well, now let's look at the five and zero oh start. And I'm not going to go individually. I'm just going to tell you what it is as a whole in those five games: seventeen sacks, seven takeaways. So in the first five games, when the Chiefs were undefeated. They had 17 sacks and 7 takeaways. They also had 7 takeaways in the last 7 games, but fewer sacks during a longer period of time uh, had 10 sacks. Now, I'm going to reverse things a little bit. Take that Denver game where they had 1 second, 5 takeaways. Let's just add it to the 5-0 and stack because you guys are going to notice something a little interesting here when we look at it this way. When the Chiefs win a football game, they have a total of 18 sacks and 12 takeaways. In the other six games, when they lose, they have nine sacks 
a pair of takeaways. So listen, it's no secret as to why the Chiefs lose football games. And I'm not saying it's solely on the defense. Alex Smith has to take a big part of the the, uh, responsibility. But look at this defense here. When you're losing games, you only have nine sacks and you have two takeaways. When you're winning football games, the Chiefs are averaging 18 sacks and two takeaways. Or excuse me, 12 takeaways. So when you look at their losses, they're averaging one and a half sacks a game and one third of a takeaway per game in six losses. In six wins, they're averaging three sacks per game and two turnovers per game, two takeaways per game. So let's just put it this way. If the Chiefs can get three sacks and two takeaways this week, I love their chances of winning against the Oakland Raiders, a team that commits a lot of turnovers, uh, one of the highest in the NFL. In fact, in takeaways, they're in the top 10 in that category. And of course, we'll get to our breakdown between the Chiefs and the Raiders. But overall, listen, the, the defense, and I don't know why this defense is playing so well. I've said this over and over again, and I'll continue to say so. Do not make excuses about Eric Berry being absent. The Chiefs did not have Eric Berry in 2014. Now, they didn't have a lot of takeaways nor sacks that year. However, they were not sur- they did not surrender 30 or more points to any defense that year. No other team was able to say that that season. And we all know who the Chiefs went up against that year. Went up against the Patriots. Went up against the Seahawks. Played some great football teams that year. The two teams that eventually went to the Super Bowl that year. Defeated both of them and held both of them to below 30 points. Held everybody to 30 points that year. So the loss of Eric Berry. And I'm not saying the Chiefs don't need Eric Berry. They absolutely do need Eric Berry. What I'm saying what they can do without Eric Berry is. They can still play good defense. They can still do well against some of the best defense or offenses in the NFL. They can do even better when Eric Berry is there. And again, hopefully Darrell Rivas can be be a better football player. Uh, I mean, he, if you want to look at how he looked in that Jets game against his former team, you could tell he was being paid by the Jets considering how he played in that football game uh, because couldn't tackle, uh, couldn't cover. I mean, it wasn't doing a whole lot to help the Chiefs in that football game. He looked like he had never played a football game, and we heard a report about how he knew the defense like the back of his hand. Well, didn't look like he even knew how to play football in that game. But hopefully, hopefully Darrell Rivas can rebound from that and, and do a lot better. And Marcus Peters, I know this has not been a great year for him, just as far as on-the-field play and maturity level. And of course, Eric Berry not not on the team this season due to his injury that he suffered at the end of the Patriots game. Hopefully, all three of them can come back strong next year. Eric Berry, he's being given a ton of time to recover from his injury. So, at least with, with the injury he suffered, he suffered it early. So, he has plenty of time to recover. Marcus Peters, listen, uh, his rookie year, he allowed a lot of touchdowns, but he also got the most interceptions along with another player tying that uh, league uh, record for the season. As far as 2016 goes, that was a phenomenal year for Marcus Peters. Wasn't getting burnt and continued to come away with more interceptions. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, he had more interceptions in his first two years than the Jacksonville Jaguars did during that two-year span. So look, every elite player has an off year. I mean, they all have them. 
So maybe this is just not Marcus Peters' year. Hopefully he can come back strong next year. And for those who keep saying they want him off the team, really, you want Terrence Mitchell and Steven Nelson to be your your cornerback. I mean, Steven Nelson's not having a very good season. Maybe once Revis and Peters, once they form things together, and if they bring back Revis next year, maybe Nelson can go back to being a slot cornerback, a nickel cornerback, which he, he was great at last season, arguably the best nickel corner in the NFL last season. So maybe he needs to go back to that role before being labeled as a number two cornerback in the NFL ever again. Uh, but if you think about it, what the Chiefs can do with the secondary, bring back Eric Berry, You've got two premier cornerbacks and Darrell Rivas. Again, hopefully, if he recovers, I know he just got his feet wet in his first game back, and hopefully, Marcus Peters can just shake this bad year off and come back stronger the following year. This is going to be an incredible secondary to watch on the field. And again, Justin Houston not having the greatest season, still one of the best in sacks, but uh, should certainly be doing a lot better. And Bob Sutton needs to take a lot of the blame for the defensive coordinator for how he's handled this defense this season. I mean, you should expect more uh, from this defense in terms of total sacks and takeaways on the year. 14 takeaways, uh, not the highest of numbers uh, for the Chiefs. They're, they're, they're used to having a lot more in 27 sacks up to this point. Uh, again, that's certainly below standards as to what this team should expect and what the fans expect, too. So hopefully that's something the Chiefs can work on uh, the remainder of the year and in the offseason to come back stronger in that category, especially when you're going to get Eric Berry back. And again, if Darrell Rivas, if the Chiefs choose to retain him and bring him back for 2018, uh, this could be a very fun defense to watch. But for now, they've got to take care of business this Sunday against the Oakland Raiders uh, and when you look at this defense and what they have a chance to go up against, not the most scary offense, especially considering what they did last year and how great this offense was. They haven't done a whole lot of that this year. And, I, and Derek Carr has been a big reason for that. Derek Carr, and I'll read you his stat line shortly, but he has only four multi-TD games this year. One of them being against the Chiefs, where he threw three touchdowns. There are two games this year, including the one I just mentioned against Chiefs, where he's thrown for three touchdowns, two others where he's thrown for two touchdowns, and the rest of the games, he's thrown either one or no touchdowns in those games. And for what it's worth, the Raiders are 4-0 this year when Derek Carr throws multiple touchdown passes in a single game. This year, he's 13th in passing with 2,731 yards, excuse me. 17 touchdowns on the year for him, 8 interceptions, which ties 8 others for ninth most in the NFL. Has a 91.9 rating, which is 16th in the league. He was 22 of 36 passing last week against the Giants for 287 yards and a touchdown. So Derek Carr not having the greatest season. Uh, I mean, the numbers that he has this year are certainly not as great as they were last year. When you look at his season totals from 2016, uh, in which he led the Chiefs or the Raiders, excuse me, to 12 wins, tying the Chiefs for first place in the division, but the Chiefs uh, ended up breaking the tiebreaker, leading in that one. There, 28 touchdown passes, six interceptions. He already has two more interceptions this year than he had last year in the 15 games Derek Carr played, and as we know, he suffered that injury on Christmas Eve, which forced him to miss the season finale against the Broncos. That was a big factor in allowing the Chiefs to 
get first place in the AFC West, beating the Chargers and the Raiders falling to the Broncos. And uh, uh, from there, you know what happened. The Chiefs won the division, but neither team, neither the Raiders nor the Chiefs could do anything in the playoffs. But nonetheless, uh, I, I mean, Derek Carr certainly not having the greatest season, but doing better than some quarterbacks this season. Marshawn Lynch has not been very good. He was questionable going into last week's game against the Giants, but boy, good thing he played because he had a big hand in the win for the Raiders. Ran 17 times for 101 yards and a touchdown. This is his first 100-yard rushing game since returning to the NFL this year. Not the greatest season for him. He's actually gotten better lately. Under 40 carries for 558 yards and six touchdowns. He has a 4.0 yard per carry average. Uh, so he's definitely gotten a lot better compared to where he was earlier in the season. Pass catcher is still one of the best in the NFL. Uh, the Oakland Raiders have. And their stat line, uh, as far as receivers go, kind of reminds me a lot of uh, this past week. Uh, the Jets. Uh, I mentioned the Jets had a lot of receivers with 42 and 41 receptions on the year. Listen to this for the Raiders. Michael Crabtree, who's returning from suspension, a two-game suspension after... An epic chain pull fight with Aqib Tlaib of the Broncos and also a former Jayhawk. He has 42 catches on the year for 502 yards. Leads the team with six touchdown grabs. Amari Cooper, 42 catches also for 499 yards. Three yards behind Crabtree for five touchdowns. One touchdown behind Crabtree. Same amount of catches. Five yards behind him and one touchdown behind him. Very, very similar numbers this year. You may remember a year ago, Cooper was primarily the main receiver amassing all the yards, whereas Crabtree was the end zone threat. And this year, they're both very similar receivers, which is which is nice to see that balance. It gives you an unpredictable and a better offense. Unpredictable for opposing defenses, that is. So that's been good to see for the Raiders from their standpoint. Tight end Jared Cook, he leads the team with 43 grabs, 546 yards, just one touchdown on the season. But hey, no big deal. The wide receivers, they've been great end zone threats for the Raiders this season. So Jared Cook leading the team in catches uh, just by one, but also leading the team in receiving yards. He's been able to pull through in that area. So a great three-man duo, your two wide receivers and your tight end for the Oakland Raiders. And I don't know if you could really ask for much more. Sure, the, the Chiefs have Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. Uh, uh, and Tyree Kill, I'll, I'll get into him later. He's sixth in the league. In receiving yards, he he actually has out of all wide receiver, all pass catchers, I should say, that don't have 1,000 yards. Tyreek Hill has the most receiving yards this year with 911, and no one else has 900 yards uh, on the season, uh, with exception to those that have already surpassed the 1,000 yard mark. So unless you have a top five receiver and a top five, maybe even the number one tight end in the league. Uh, boy, I mean, there's not much else you can ask for if you're the Oakland Raiders. So they've got a great three-man duo for Derek Carr to work with in the passing game. And as far as the Raiders' offensive line goes, still one of the best in the NFL, especially on the left side with Donald Penn, Colesio Semele, and former Chief Center Rodney Hudson. The offensive line has allowed 18 sacks this season. That is the sixth fewest in the NFL. Derek Carr has been sacked 14 times. The other four sacks came when EJ Manuel was under center for the Raiders at times. Newhouse and Jackson, not very good offensive lineman on the right side, but that didn't seem to make a big impact uh, the last time the Chiefs and the Raiders played as the Chiefs had only one sack 
in that football game. Switching to the other side of the football for the Raiders, looking at their defense, which is ranked 22nd in the NFL, 23rd in stopping the pass, 11th in stopping the run. They're 16th right in the middle in points allowed per game, 23.2 points per game. The Chiefs barely ahead of the Raiders in that category, 15th allowing 22.8 points per game. The Raiders have nine takeaways on the season. That is the fewest in the NFL. They have only one interception. That is also the fewest. The next fewest is Atlanta with three this season. Safeties Reggie Nelson and Carl Joseph co-lead the team in tackles with 65. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Safeties Reggie Nelson and Carl Joseph, your number one safety and your number two safety, they both lead the team in tackles, both with the same number, 65. I'm not going to break any news by saying this, but I'm saying this because the Chiefs offense needs to get something going when a defense has two safeties leading the team in tackles. That's a very bad thing. That's a very bad thing for that defense. That's a great thing for the offense. So... The Chiefs, they've got to take advantage of, of, of that right there. And this Raiders defense, I'll, I'll get to I mean, the only other highlight on this football team, Khalil Mack. Seven and a half sacks on the year. He had half a sack uh, with the uh, or against the Chiefs. The other uh, half came from Autry on Thursday Night Football when these two teams met. Navarro Bowman has the only other interception. The former 49er, he's got the only interception, which came not this past week, but the week before that when the Raiders and the Broncos played. And that's the only interception the Raiders have this season. So overall, and I was was just about to say this before I went into the other few highlights on the defense, this is not a very good defense. And I mentioned I'd get into Tyreek Hill in a moment. Tyreek Hill had at least six catches in each of the last three games uh, against the the Giants, the Bills, and the Jets. And I anticipate him to do that for a fourth straight game, getting at least six catches. He had six catches against the Raiders earlier this year. Had a touchdown to go with it as well. I expect him to have at least six catches in this football game against a very weak Raiders defense that... Cannot stop the pass for whatever reason. And they've been able to stop the run a little bit at times. But hey, maybe this is an opportunity for the Chiefs to really open up their offense. Do some unpredictable things. Try to throw the Raiders' defense off and get this rushing attack going again. Something they have not done in a long time. I mentioned the numbers last podcast about how quiet Kareem Hunt has been. And I think he's overdue for a big game. I I don't think he has it. But man, he is certainly overdue to get into the end zone. Has not done so since week three of the NFL season. I forgot to mention some of the Raiders' offensive totals as a team. They're 16th in total offense, 15th in passing. So right in the middle of the pack, 25th in running. And I mentioned Marshawn Lynch isn't doing very well this season. Jalen Richard, he's doing quite well, but he's a backup. He doesn't get a whole lot of carries compared to Marshawn Lynch this season. And they're 21st in scoring, scoring 20.3 points per game. And a quick look at special teams. Cordell Patterson, he was questionable with a hip injury last week, but played through it. He averages 29 yards per return, which is the second best among all returners with at least 10 or more returns on kickoffs. Punt returner Jalen Rashard, I just mentioned him in the rushing department uh, he's the main punt returner for the Raiders. Not a very good punt returner, though. Averaging 5.9 yards per return off punts. Kicker Gorgio Tavecchio, who is filling in for Sebastian Janikowski this year, 
13 of 16 this season. Longest make comes from 53 yards away. And partner Market Marquette King continues to be one of the best in the league. Top five in gross and net punting average. Uh, and certainly on his way to another Pro Bowl to represent the Oakland Raiders. All right, look, I expect Alex Smith to have another good football game. Uh, not because he he came, he came off a great game against the Jets, but more so because he played very well against the Oakland Raiders on the road, and I anticipate him to have kind of a similar game uh, this time around than, than he did last time when the Chiefs and Raiders went head-to-head. So I think he can throw three to four touchdown passes and continue to use Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, guys who have who have been just nothing but great this year for the Chiefs on offense. And I think the big question mark goes to the offensive line, which is kind of crazy because the offensive line, they were great at blocking in, in on running plays, but trying to protect Alex Smith, that is something they had a big issue with. Then you look after the 5-0 and start, they're not a good run-blocking team, but they actually have done a lot better in protecting Alex Smith. And listen, I think part of it, Alex Smith needs to be able to step up more in the pocket, especially when he sees that the outside linebackers or the defensive ends are getting around the tackles, and that's the point where you need to step up to try to help your tackles get in better position to block and also force those defensive ends or those, basically the exterior pass rushers uh, the edge rushers have them kind of just be out of the play for a couple seconds, and as long as your interior offensive line can take care of you, the interior defenders, Alex Smith should have the time he needs to make the right plays. And we've seen him overthrow guys, but in this game against the Raiders, when you don't have a lot of good defensive backs, I mean, Sean Smith has not been very good for the Raiders this season. I mentioned Carl Joseph and Reggie Nelson; those aren't very good safeties. This season, yeah, they lead the team in tackles, but for bad reasons. So I anticipate Alex Smith to have three or four touchdowns and throw for at least 250 or 300, maybe a little bit more uh, passing yards in this football game. The run block, the, the the running game, I don't know if I have a lot of confidence in the in the run blocking this in this game. So uh, especially with the Raiders being ranked 11th, so I think this is going to be another pass heavy game for the Chiefs, and I, I think they they can still get Kareem Hunt involved, uh, just not as involved. Or as much or as well as they'd like to on the ground. The big question, once again, is going to come on defense. I mentioned the numbers. If they can get three sacks and a pair of takeaways, I love their chances of winning. But I don't know if I have this much confidence in this defense to do so. They have not been able to do so. They didn't do so last time these two teams played. And even though Derek Carr has thrown eight interceptions this season, which again ties ninth in the NFL with eight others, I just don't know if. He's, if this defense is going to be able to do I think they can come away with one turnover. Maybe come away with one interception. But other than that, I'm, I just don't think this defense can get it done. I don't think they'll be able to get a lot of sacks, especially against this offensive line, one of the best in the league. And considering how quiet they've been going after the quarterback, essentially, essentially opposing quarterbacks have been able to keep their jerseys clean uh, almost as if they can use it for the following game without even having to wash it or anything. Uh, I, I think this this Chiefs defense is going to struggle. I think this is going to be a very similar game to last time. Hopefully not the way it ended where the Raiders got several extra opportunities with no time on the clock. Uh, still a crazy way how the Chiefs let that game go. But 
Uh, I think this is going to be a game kind of similar to the Jets game where it's just going to be a high-scoring game. I think both teams are going to get to the high 20s or in the 30s. At the end of the day, though, unfortunately, and I really hate to say this, I think this could come down to a field goal uh, or at least one possession. But I think the Oakland Raiders, not only will they defeat the Chiefs, but I think they'll dethrone them from first place in the AFC West and send them to third place. In which they will take over as division leaders. And that is not going to be a happy sight for Chiefs fans at Arrowhead Stadium this this week. Or, or Chiefs fans anywhere. Whether you're at Arrowhead Stadium or watching from the comfort of your own home. Just not paying as much for a hot dog beer and for parking. Uh, this is just going to be tough to see. It's never pretty when you let a team like the Raiders. As bad of a start they got to this year. To let them come back and knock you off first place and also take over at the same time. As far as the score prediction goes, I'll say 31-28. I think Oakland will prevail in this one. And going back to the whole division discussion for a moment. The Chiefs, they had a 90% chance of, 90.9% chance of making the playoffs Coming off the bye week, despite losing to the Cowboys. Right now, the Chiefs have a 56.8% chance of making the playoffs, according to Football Outsiders. That is a 34.1% drop. And if you want to look at the division, uh, the Chiefs, as I mentioned, 56.8% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, they're saying there's a 54% chance they make the playoffs by winning the division. So if the Chiefs are going to make it into January, it's more likely than not going to happen by winning the division. The wild card, when you're when you're at 6-6 six and six right now in December, uh, the chances of making the playoffs are already slim. But because the Chiefs are in a terrible division, the chances of making it into the playoffs as a wild card team very, very low. I mean, you look at the Raiders. They also have a 3.4% chance of making it as a wildcard team. Or, excuse me, that's the Chargers. The Raiders are actually at a one2 When you look at other teams in the AFC, the Titans have a 47% chance of making it as a wildcard team. The Ravens have an 86% chance. And the Bills are placed uh, at 12% to make it as a wildcard team. So, look, if you want to talk about wildcard teams... The Ravens and the Titans are are ahead in that category. And look, the, t- the Titans and the Jaguars both have the same record at 8-4. and four. So whoever does not win that division is probably going to get in as a wildcard team. So they've got the Chiefs have got to win this football game to win the division and, and to make it into the playoffs. But unfortunately, I don't see that happening. I don't see a win happening this week. And I think it could be uh, the start of a big meltdown. Uh, I'm going to do the Facebook Live as I always do, but... Uh, we'll see. I, I want to make it short because I really want to hear talk radio. Uh, but hey, I, I, I also get a chance to hear from you guys. Um, but I, as soon as that Chiefs game ends, especially if it's a loss, I'm going to fire up all the social media and, and local talk radio. And I'll even check out a few Chiefs message boards, even though those are kind of a thing in the past. People still post on message boards, believe it or not. I'm going to check those out. because, And I normally don't do this because... And look, I don't care so much for popular opinion. Uh, I always want to know what fans are thinking. But in a time like this, 
I think it's really important to hear what fans have to say. And I know a lot of fans, uh, especially if the team loses, they're going to have a lot to say after this game. Hopefully I'm wrong, but man, I'll tell you what, my confidence level with this team is very, very low. Let me know your guys' thoughts on my predictions. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter at Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. All right, this is the biggest story coming out of Monday Night Football between the Bengals and the Steelers. A lot of injuries in this game. The biggest one that's being talked about the most is the hit from Juju Smith-Schuster when he just laid out Vontae Burfecht on a hit that would have been legal about four to five years ago. But look, uh, I don't agree. If it's part of the rule... Uh, it's considered an illegal hit. Uh, so certainly, I, I think the penalty it was necessary there. And uh, the suspension, I guess. Uh, but Antonio Brown uh, was shouting karma as Burfick was being taken off the field on a cart. And I thought that was a little too much here. Now, there is a reason why fans have come out fully supporting Antonio Brown for rubbing it in and also supporting Smith-Schuster for injuring him. Albeit not intentional. Uh, Look, let me just say this. Fans have no reason to feel sympathetic towards Vontae Perfect for that hit. He has been doing that to a lot of NFL players, including Anthony Sherman, during the preseason this year, actually. So he's been known to be a dirty player. I mean, if we had to take a poll from all NFL players, and, you know, if you had to ask MVP, Rookie of the Year, and if on that list they had to vote for dirtiest player, I would not be shocked if Vontae Burfecht was rated number one. It received the most votes by players. This guy's been doing it to a lot of people. I'm not going to sit here and say karma or say, hey, I'm thrilled he got hurt. But I'm not going to feel sympathetic towards him either like I would for a lot of players in this case. I know the Steelers have a player who's still hospitalized uh, trying to recover from his brutal injury. Uh, But look, uh, I don't think NFL fans have a reason to feel so bad for Vontae Burfecht when what Smith Schuster did to him, he's been doing to a lot of NFL players. So look, may sound harsh, but there's no reason to really feel bad for the guy. For the hit that he took. Positive story to talk about. Despite the loss against the Chargers. Josh Gordon who came back this past week. I didn't talk about this. He looked pretty damn good for a guy who's. Number one who's been out of action for quite some time. Number two. He's never really played with a legitimate quarterback in Cleveland. This is a guy who at one point led the league in receiving yards one season. And when he did so that year. Guess who his quarterbacks were? Jason Campbell, Brandon Whedon, Brian Hoyer. I mean, I I love using this word for certain teams that go through this. There was a quarterback convention for Cleveland in 2013, the same year Josh Gordon caught 87 passes for 1,646. That's an 18.9 yard per reception average. Imagine if Josh Gordon had a just a above average quarterback. He'd be putting up way higher numbers. Or at least in 2013 he would have. 
so look, uh, let me just say this about Josh Gordon, because of course he's coming back in the league. The guy is 26 years old. He'll turn 27 this offseason. It's not too late for him to have another great season like that. He's kind of in his prime and has a chance to make some big things happen in his career. Stay out of trouble, young man, and continue to do what you're doing. I mean, this is a guy who's playing a sport that a lot of kids wish that they were they could play one day. Or a lot of guys who wish that they were playing right now but aren't. Take advantage of what you get to do for a living. And, man, I, I, let me just say this about Josh Gordon. According to SpotTrack, he does become a free agent at the end of the year. And we all know Andy Reid. He loves giving second chances to players. And I would love it if they brought a receiver like him to Kansas City. That could really go a long way for Kansas City's offense. Let's go out of bounds. Roy Williams, UNC Tar Heels coach and former Kansas Jayhawks coach, he mentioned that he thinks that cheaters should be banned for life in college sports. You guys have heard me talk about this. I I think cheating, whether it's whether it's you know steroids, uh, banned substances being used by athletes, which drives me crazy when they do that because these these athletes do get tested. Uh, or in the NCAA, let me just say this about the NCAA: it is extremely difficult to keep track of all of these institutions and. Not even just keeping track of those. I mean, that alone. The amount of schools that you have to keep track to, to keep track of, and on top of that, the uh, the rules you have, the thick rule book that not even the people working for the front office of the NCAA even know all of those things. And how can they when there are so many? So when violations are happening, whether it's an intentional or not. It's it's just it's hard to keep a track of. And anytime the NCAA, anytime they find someone that does that, I think there needs to be a harsh punish punishment. I don't think we have enough harsh punishments in sports these days. We let we let coaches and athletes and teams get away with a lot of things. And I think it's time that the NCAA, listening to what Roy Roy Williams had to say, I think it's time that. If you do find someone that cheats, you got to come up with some sort of harsh punishment. I wouldn't say first offense should be banned for life. But on a second or third offense, I think you absolutely have to. You're a college mentor. You're a college coach. You're supposed to not only teach these kids to play well in the sport that you're coaching them for, but also teach them how to be good men uh, for, for, for their future. I mean, Herm Edwards... Former Chiefs coach, just now officially hired by Arizona State, ta- talked about how you know he's he's got to teach these guys to be great men, great husbands, fathers one day. And, and as a co- college mentor, if you're cheating, why should you be teaching kids? Why should you be teaching 18 to 22 year olds who, during that time of their lives, they're really making that transition from being a kid to becoming an adult? And if a cheater is giving them the guidance I don't know if as a parent I would feel comfortable with that I don't know what parent would would trust that so 
sorry. I think Roy Williams is onto something when he says that we should consider lifetime bans. Speaking of bans, in an unprecedented punishment for Russia's doping scandal, the Russian Olympic team has been banned from competing in the 2018 Winter Olympics by the IOC, as they announced on Tuesday. I, I listen, kind of just what I was talking about with with this NCAA topic. Good for the IOC for doing what they needed to do. Again, I, I despise cheating when it when it comes to these kinds of things in, in sports. Whether you're trying to break the rules, you're trying to you're you're taking steroids or, or other banned substances. I just don't think there is any room for that when there are other athletes and other teams trying to work hard to do it the right way, the 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 correct way, the way that it's allowed. And when you're trying to beat them wrongfully. I just think it's wrong, and you should be banned for that. So props to the IOC for doing what they did and banning the Russian Olympic team. Final segment of the show, time to throw some penalty flags. Alright, I said a couple episodes ago that I want to expand the penalty flag segment a little bit. I want to have a little bit more fun with this because you guys know me. I find always the most idiotic stories and the most idiotic people that we talk about during the penalty flag segment. I think I may need to rename the segment of this, but I'd rather not. I'd rather keep this name. Now, I want to open up to you guys. If at any point you see a funny story, whether it's in sports or not, it can be anything. As long as it's not anything gross or anything, just anything horrific, let's discuss it. Send me a link of uh, of the story, uh, either on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzinevesugian. Send me a tweet at Farzine21 or email me, Farzine at Farzinevesugian.com. Josh sent me... A really weird story. I, 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 probably not the dumbest thing we've we've seen, but this is actually quite intriguing. Uh, it's about a drunk man, so you know there's going to be a good story right away. Well, hopefully it wasn't drunk because this guy was driving. But nonetheless, a man from South Carolina went to a Waffle House at 3 a.m. in which there were very few staff members working. Uh, they were all asleep, though. This man was on his way home after a few drinks with his with his buddies. Uh, stopped at a Waffle House on his way home. And as I mentioned, staff members were sleeping on tables. So the man goes to the kitchen, cooks his own breakfast. Uh, he claims he cleaned the kitchen. I don't know if I'd buy that. Uh, but he took a bunch of selfies. Uh, he took a couple of pictures of the employees that were sleeping. Took a bunch of selfies of himself uh, making the food and just hanging out in the kitchen by himself with nobody else around. No supervisors, nothing. And he ate the food. He cooked himself breakfast at 3 a.m. Uh, walked out of there while they were still sleeping. So I don't even know like why I'm throwing a flag at this. Uh, I guess uh, good for good for the man who, after a few drinks at 3 a.m., cooks himself breakfast at a Waffle House while no one even said anything because they were all asleep. Uh, this is kind of weird. Uh, I get it. It's 3 a.m. I have fortunately never worked an overnight job. I've worked jobs where I've worked very late. The latest I've worked was at a Royals game uh, doing media production for them running the video board. Uh, I think the game went on until 2 or 2.10 a.m. because of a long rain delay and extra innings. And the spring, uh, the, the, the lights went off right before uh, extra innings. So that ended up being a very, very long night. Uh, or a long morning, uh, however however you want to put it. But 
Uh, man, I, I get it. These people, if they work overnight, uh, maybe some of them working multiple jobs, uh, that can make for a very long and tedious day, and uh, they just tend to fall asleep sometimes. Speaking of people who fell asleep, someone fell asleep approving this video. Uh, UFC 218 was this past Saturday. By the way, if you want to hear my UFC 218 recap, go check out my other podcast, my MMA podcast, The Cage Zone. A man was illegally streaming UFC 218. Now listen, it's not a secret. We know there are a lot of streams out there and people try to use these streaming websites to try to watch WWE or UFC pay-per-views. They're all over out there. Uh, Here's what's funny. The guy pretends that he's streaming a video game by having a headset on and holding a controller up in his face while pretending that he's Jose Aldo or, or Max Holloway, whoever was in the main event of that fight, basically pretending that he's playing a video game. Even though it's clearly not a video game, it's it's real people on the screen and whatever streaming service, I think it was YouTube or wherever, that allowed this to go up on the air live, they allowed it on the website. And people are talking about a lawsuit for, and that the guy, although it was funny, he needs to now hire an attorney. No, he doesn't. It should be the streaming website that allowed this to happen. They should be the ones that the UFC should consider suing because they allowed someone who was asleep just let that video fly. That's on them. That's definitely not on the guy. He, he did something he shouldn't have done, but there was somebody that, that should have been there to stop it, and they didn't. Speaking of the UFC, Conor McGregor, who's been seeking a lot of attention lately, of course, he's made $140 million in the past two years. He uh, takes a picture of himself on Instagram because he made the news, and he's holding the newspaper but he's holding the newspaper upside down. Another interesting thing, this guy brags about how many suits he has and how great he dresses and how much money he has. He was leaving a courtroom. I think this was in Ireland. He was leaving a courtroom in an Adidas sweatshirt and sweatpants. Now, look, I'm not saying you should be judged on what you wear, but when you go to a place like a courtroom, I have a feeling that judges, although they should be doing their job, I think they have a hard time wanting to take your side when you dress up like you just rolled out of bed. In in a sweat, really, Connor, in a sweatshirt and sweatpants, and you made $140 million in the last two years, and you cannot show up with a suit. And he claims he has a lot of different suits, which he's shown them in the past, and all these UFC events he's been a part of. Uh, come on. Uh, I mean, dress a little nice, at least. Could you? million, man. And he fought just once this year. And that was uh, in the Floyd Mayweather fight where he made $100 million. Whereas Floyd apparently made $300 to $400 million. Good for these guys. Taking punches to the face and getting all this money. Why? Because they can grab a a lot of fans into it. I mean, they're a big big draw. Uh, And taking that much money to lose... That's a big one. I mean, you want to talk about Alex Smith making $16.9 million to have horrible games? Uh, here's Conor McGregor, who has lost now twice in his last four bouts in boxing and MMA. Um, and the guy is just cashing in like a cow. Good for him. Good for Conor McGregor. 
That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Farzi Vasugan here, the host of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Spread the word, subscribe on iTunes, share it on social media, let your friends know about the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Share it on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are on social media. Let your friends know about it. You can interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzi Vasugan. Follow and give my page a like on Facebook. A reminder, we will do a Facebook Live video at halftime for the Chiefs and Raiders game and after the Chiefs and Raiders game. Hopefully talking about a win, but I'm not too confident about that. Maybe you guys are. Let me know if you guys think I'm wrong on this one. You guys can also send me a tweet at Farzine21 on Twitter and email me, Farzine at Farzine.com. If you got a funny story that I that you think I should add to the penalty flag segments, hey, you guys know how to contact me. So send me a link and I will give you guys credit and put it on the podcast if I think it's good enough to make it on here. A big thanks once again to you guys for listening to the podcast. We'll be back Sunday afternoon once again for the Facebook Live videos and a new episode of the podcast, of the Chiefstone Podcast, will be up Monday morning. Same time, same place. Until then, enjoy your weekends, enjoy the game. Talk to you then.